This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Apollo, my co-host, my partner in crime, John Crane, for our Monday night, a special Monday night edition of Talking Halos. We are previewing the Dodgers, the Dodgers series, and we are also going to have an interview with Jeff Devan, a former angel who 15 years ago next month hit for the cycle. We're going to talk to him about that. But first, we got to address this today with Tyler Skaggs Memorial Service. I don't have words for it. I didn't watch it. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. It just didn't feel like I should be. That's a personal decision. It wasn't, you know, it just kind of felt like it was, should be more private in my my view. So I, I couldn't watch it. But, uh, John, you didn't. And uh, what were your thoughts? Not all of it. It was, uh, you know, so far, just, uh, I just pretty much watched the, the funeral, the funeral mass. Um, it's a, it was a Catholic, it's Catholic uh, funeral mass. Um, that's pretty much all that I, that I saw of it. Um, you know, uh, a lot of players in it, obviously a lot of players in, in attendance. Um, but just mostly focusing on the, the priest and lighter things. And maybe to get a smile, at everybody, I'd like you to know that you can't see him right now, but John looks like he's in the bat cave. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm looking at him right now. You I've normally can't see him see you, right? like this. He looks like he's in the back cave. He's got like this dark room. So either he's like a psycho stalker of some chick, or he is planning his next pursuit of Gotham. I'm just telling you, that's what it looks like. Hey, one just day, just saving. I'm going green, saving lights, saving lights. Going one day, green. If we ever move to a video <laughs> podcast, then uh, that is something we'll need to. Let you see a picture of him in his back cave. All right, that's right. So, you never see yeah. me. You never see me. So this is your first time. You probably the first time in a long time you've seen me. Actually, okay. <laughs> All right. So hey, folks, we are just getting started here. We're almost three months old as a podcast. We are doing some great things. We our numbers have been uh, for a new podcast very good. We're, I'm very happy about it. John knows how excited I am about it. Mm-hmm. So. 
you know, we really appreciate you checking us out, listening. If you are a new listener, we would encourage you to head over to Apple iTunes, Apple Music, and subscribe. We'd also really appreciate a five-star review to help us move the charts. I think we're going to do a contest suit on that. I'm checking that one out. If you, if you want to earn that five-star review, if you don't want hey, I, you know what? I really, I'd like to give these guys a five-star review, but I'd like to see a couple of things happen first. That's great. Hey, email us at talkinghills.gmail.com and give us your feedback. I do get the occasional message, but so far the message I'm getting are, hey, you guys are doing a great job. So I appreciate that too. helps encourage us, keeps on the right path. And if you happen to be a new listener and you're, and you're just checking out the show, hey, do us a solid and text a fellow Angels fan and let them know about us. And again, it really means the world to us. All of your support means the world to us. Uh, we started this show because we felt there was a need for more Angels coverage out there. There wasn't enough. Our guest today is from Locked On Dodgers, and his team pretty much hogs a large portion of the media coverage in the LA area during baseball season. So we need a little bit more Angels coverage out there. All right. On the bright side, that's might be why we. That's part of the reason we exist. Uh, it is, it is, and, and I, I'm pretty happy with the progress of our podcast thus far. Okay, so first things first, though, I just told you about it. Let's get right to it. Here's our preview of the L.A. series, the Freeway series, with Jess Snyder from Locked On Dodgers. All right, folks, we are here with Locked On Dodgers, Jeff Snyder, and for once, John was able to make the call. Oh, my goodness. Jeff, welcome back to the show. It's a bit of a different circumstance than the last time we talked, and I think we have a little bit of, I mean, can I, can I kind of just say small sweep a little bit, two games? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I was right last time <laughs> when I said that the Dodgers were the better team on paper, and uh, we, you know, we all know baseball is a, a crazy sport, and the better team doesn't always win. And we saw the better team doesn't always even win one game in a series. And uh, you know, from my standpoint, hopefully the better team will will play a little bit better in this current upcoming two game series. It isn't the expression that's why they play the game? I think yeah, that absolutely. That's why they play the game. That's why they yep. play the game. And, and honestly, and honestly, you know, uh, we both said it honestly. I guess we're both going to be honest here, but I'm going to be honest first. Uh, it's hard to predict a victory against a team that has Mike T- Trout on it. And one of those games, if Mike Trout didn't exist, the Dodgers would have won that game. And and so, you know, Trout is so good, he can take over any game. And so, you know, it, it's hard to uh, confidently predict a win against a team that has Mike Trout coming to the plate four times. So, Well, that, too, that and, you know, I, I have to be – like you said, honestly, when you're the Dodgers have two of the better stars in the league, and the Angels find a way to get something off of them, who could have thought that was going to happen? I think we called it for a split because it was hard to say a sweep for the Dodgers, but they probably should sweep it. But we're, we just let me and John just kind of enjoy it for a moment because in two days you might be messaging me and saying, "There we go, there's a sweep." So yeah, <laughs> and and honestly, when you've got. Uh, the Angels aren't facing the Dodgers' top pitchers this time. They're facing their fifth and sixth starters this time. And uh, and the Angels are playing better than they were last time the two teams met. So, yeah, maybe this is the Dodgers' time to sweep now that the the, the odds aren't stacked so strongly in their favor. <laughs> okay, the pitching From your mouth to God's here. ears. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> the pitching matchups here. Uh, first game, Felix Pena, 7-3. That's a little deceitful because he's got a 4-9-2 ERA. Kenta Maeda for the Dodgers, 7-6, 3-7-1 ERA. Second game, this one is, I'm not feeling real good about this one. And 
Jaime Berea at three and three at seven three six ERA against Ross Stripling a four and three at three six four. Hearing those matchups and really just kind of tell us about both of these pitchers, Maeda and Stripling. Let us know a little bit about them. If I remember, Maeda pitched in the last series, right? Was it Maeda and Ryu last time? I think so. I think so. I, I feel like it was. Um, yeah, and Maeda, he's still this. You know, when he's on, he's great. You know, he's he's got three or four different pitches that when they're working, they're really good. He's uh, if his slider is working, if he's commanding that. Uh, he is a really, really good starting pitcher, like a number two or three quality starting pitcher when the slider's working. Everything else kind of plays off that. His fastball's not great, um, but yeah, out of the bullpen the other night, I was at the game on Friday, and he was hitting 94. He pitched one game, one inning out of the bullpen just because his uh, his last start got shortened by rain, and so they let him just pitch an inning out of the pen just to get a little bit of work in preparation for this next start. And from the pen, he hits 94. But as a starter, he's more of a 91, 92 kind of guy, uh, which isn't great. But when his slider and his changeup are working, then the fastball plays up. And so everything kind of boils down to that slider. And and I think I said that last time, too. And then he came in and, and he gave up, I think, five runs in the first inning or first couple innings. It, it, uh because Otani hit a homer, and then he gave up a three-run homer to somebody. And yeah, and, and so Maeda kind of never got a chance to get on track. He 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 was lousy in the first inning, and, and that was it. He was good after that, but once you've given up five runs, you know, good after that doesn't really help you much. And so Maeda's good. Stripling is is similar profile, not an overpowering fastball, really good at off-speed stuff and uh, and good command. And he's more of a he kind of plays off his curveball. His curveball is great when it's when it's working. You know, I, I'm surprised Ross Stripling's curveball doesn't get more talk as one of the best curveballs in the league because it is really, really good, really sharp. And uh, and so you know, Maeda and Stripling both, like I said, they're the number five and six starters. Rich Hill is on the injured list right now, which is the only reason Stripling's even in the rotation. Um, but both of those guys have the potential to be really, really good and and give you a great start. We've seen it with Stripling recently. We've seen it with Maeda at times this year. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a, a wild card there. Who, who knows which version you're going to get uh, of those two guys. In our matchups here, Felix Pena, he's getting the start. He's not opening, and that's a little scary for us. He was part of that no-hitter, and then last week got blasted. Jaime Berea got blasted. He's got potential to put together a really nice, strong game, and then he'll just disappoint. Basically, you're getting an Angels pitching staff that is tired and depleted. And honestly, if the Dodgers don't come out there and tear the cover of the ball, you know, just tear it off the ball, I would be really surprised. John, is that what you're thinking as well? What are you thinking? As far as I'm just, I'm just worried about the pitching, our pitching staff, and that, and the offense of the Dodgers. Which is, I'm not worried about our offense. Um, I'm just worried about. Yeah, our starters and 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 them going more than five innings. Um, just our pitch counts are just nuts. Our pitch counts are crazy, and we, you know, I mean, we had five starters. We had five pitchers, I believe, in yesterday's game. Um, so, I mean, to me, it all comes down to pitching against the Dodgers. We both have they both we both have potent offenses. Um, can, what yours is more consistent than ours, uh, but we both have. So, I think it all comes down to pitching. It all comes down to. Uh, Pitching, pitching, pitching. Yeah, and that's something that should work in the Dodgers' favor. We're talking about pitch counts because that's one thing the Dodgers just done 
almost every game this year is just drive up pitch counts. They just work the pitchers. You'll have, you know, even innings when they don't push a guy across, and it's frustrating. They left the bases loaded. Well, they made the dude throw it with 28 pitches an inning, you know? And that stuff, usually, it ends up coming back to bite the pitcher sooner than later, you know? And so you, if, if you have a first inning where you make the guy throw 26 pitches, chances are he's going to be out of the out of the game in the fifth inning and that's after you scored a few runs off him and that's what the dodgers have done really well am i right pena's a lefty and berea's a righty okay so yeah they're uh, they're both righties i just looked it up yeah and, and so that'll be interesting that's the dodgers just faced three righties against the marlins and kind of had their way offensively uh and the dodgers their struggles against lefties haven't been as pronounced this year but they definitely are still better against righties i think and so Bellinger has had a couple days off. He took Sunday's game off, and then today today's off day. So uh, you got a well-rested Cody Bellinger coming in. Jock Peterson seems to be getting back on track, especially against righties. And uh, yeah, the, it's a it's a tough offense. So you know, right now the Dodgers seventh in the league, a two sixty four average, third runs. They're potent pitching staff, though. First in the league, 3-3-4 ERA, a 1.08 whip. They overall have been dominant. 67-35, 16 games. That's right, folks. You're hearing it right. 16-game lead in the National League West. At this point, how do the Dodgers keep sharp as they head into August and September with such a big lead in the West? You know, keep sharp is an interesting concept because I don't think they're too concerned about being sharp every game right now and that's that kind of maybe works in the angels favor maybe maybe works in any of their opponents favor um that that they really are playing for october right now and you know on saturday clayton kershaw pitched six innings allowed no runs struck out 10 was dominant and he was at 97 pitches uh, but they were up six nothing and roberts pulled him and kershaw wasn't happy about it um but you could see dave roberts is thinking, you know what, Clayton, I would rather have you throwing these bullets in October against the Yankees or the Cubs or whoever than throwing them in July against the Marlins. Uh, you know what, you 97 pitch, and, and it almost came back to bite them in that particular game because the Dodgers bullpen, which is their only weakness really, uh, gave up six runs, and the Dodgers ended up needing a late-inning rally to win that game. Uh, they blew the lead, a 6 nothing lead, but even if they had lost that game, I don't think Roberts would regret the decision because the fact is they care more about a game in October than they do about a game in July against the Marlins. And so there will be a little bit more. Uh, the, the Dodgers are really good at home. I think they like playing at home. I think maybe there's more of an urgency to win at home. I don't know for sure, but uh, you know that's working against the Angels here probably. But you know, really, the. The Dodgers right now, back to your original question of keeping sharp, they are kind of balancing two things, trying to to win enough games that people don't get too mad. They've already, I mean, they've locked up the division. Obviously, they want to have the best record in baseball at the end of the season, or at least in the National League, but ideally, best record in baseball, clinch home field throughout the, the postseason. But beyond that, it's kind of a, they're playing for October right now. Well, I, I think personally, because I, I, I've, I, I have a family of Dodger fans, my wife's family, and I also worked in Whittier, a lot of Dodger fans, had all my angel stuff. I, I've been saying all this year that the Dodgers the Dodgers are like the Lakers, the Showtime Lakers. The regular season, I mean, it matters more in baseball than I think any other sport. But if they don't win the World Series this year, 
I just think just about every Dodger fan on the planet is going to say that's a failure. Do you agree? Um, I mean, yes and no. It's obviously that's the ultimate goal. I, I personally, I just know there's too much, uh, too many variables that go into October. I, you know, hopefully they win the World Series. Um, but and we saw in 2014 with the the Giants. The Giants weren't a very good team in 2014. They snuck in with the wild card, and then Madison Bumgarner got insanely hot at the right time. And so, you know, anything can happen in October. And so, I'm not going to go so far as to say that it's a failure, uh, or at least that you know, I, I'm enjoying this season a lot. And, and for me, the baseball season it's seven months long, and it's seven months of watching your team every night, just about and. Uh, and that's it's been a lot of fun for me this season watching this team. And so if they lose the World Series, I will be, or if, you know, if they don't win the World Series, I'll be disappointed. I'll be sad, but it won't retroactively make the season a failure for me because uh, ultimately one of the things I love about baseball is that it gives me seven months of enjoyment and, you know, one disappointing night or whatever isn't going to entirely change that, although it... Uh, I don't know how many more times I can handle losing the World Series. <laughs> well, but, uh, what, I've, what I've always said, just real quick, Derek, what I've always said to them in response to that is I would kill to the Angels to have lost two World Series in a row because that would mean that I had a chance at the World Series again this year. And if you lose again this year, I'd still kill to have had the Angels lose three World Series in a row because that'd mean we'd have a chance to go back again. So, I, I mean, I'm very, you know, I, I commend the Dodgers. I'm jealous of Dodger fans even, you know, for making the World Series. And, uh, but I just see Dodger fans as being more, the turning, yeah, more expecting to, to push it over the edge. Go ahead, Derek. Well, A, John, you're talking about felonies. Uh, that's prison stuff. And B, <laughs> uh, you have an opportunity every year for the World Series anyways. But, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Uh, my question, Jeff, really is this. As a fan... Of course, you're enjoying the season. Believe it or not, at 52 and 4 and 9 and losing a key part of our pitching staff this year, I'm still enjoying the season. I really am. As a baseball guy, it's driving me up a wall watching the starting staff struggle when they have a line that's pretty potent and they should be. They should, this team should be winning 65, 63 games at this point with that, with that lineup they have. But I'm talking more at an organizational level. The Dodgers go out there again this year and they don't get over that hump. How do you expect the Dodgers organization to respond to basically a third straight World Series loss, or at the very least, very least, an extremely disappointing year after making two previous World Series visits? You know, organizationally, I Tom Lasorda, you know, everybody's favorite person, said the best thing in baseball you can do is win the World Series, and the second best thing in baseball you can do is lose the World Series. I mean, the the fact is there are 29 other teams that have not been in the World Series each of the last two years. And so if the Dodgers make the World Series again this year and lose it again, well, they will then still be the only team in out of 30 that has been in three straight World Series. And, you know, I, I've, I've said before, if you could, if you offered me either a guaranteed World Series victory this year or a guaranteed being in the World Series for the next 10 years, but, but without guarantees of results, I'll take the 10 years every single day because it's like like you were saying it's it's 10 years of knowing you have a great baseball team to watch for seven months Mm -hmm. out of the year Mm -hmm. and you know if you do make the world series 10 years in a row you're going to win one or two or four of those 
you know, and the fact that even if you go four and six in 10 World Series, that that's that's pretty successful to me, winning four, four World Series in 10 years. And obviously, there's no guarantees. You can't even guarantee that. There's no guarantee that just because the Dodgers are the best team in the National League this year that they're going to end up in the World Series again this year. You know, you, you have to play the games like we saw last time the Dodgers and Angels played. But as a fan, I will take a well-run organization that is putting the team on the field that has the the talent to get to the World Series nearly every year. I'll take that. And I think the organization is the same way. I don't think anybody in the anybody who matters in the Dodgers organization would view it as a failure if they reach the World Series for the third season in a row, regardless of what happens. You know, they do need to make some moves in the next week and a half. They need to shore up that bullpen because it is their weakness. But the Dodgers the last three years have gone out and gotten the best player available at the trade deadline. They got Rich Hill three years ago. They got Hugh Darvish two years ago. They got Manny Machado last year. And and every single year they have identified, okay, what do we need? And they've gone and gotten it. And th- this year is going to be no different. They're going to go out and they're going to get one or two really good relief pitchers. And, and beyond that, that's all they can do. Then the players have to play the game. And... You know, if the Dodgers, if the front office goes out and gets the bullpen help that they need, and then the players, again, don't win the World Series, that's not an organizational failure. That is baseball being baseball. Overall, this year, you, as a person who is you know, your Dodger guy, I'm sure you, you're you paying attention to West Coast baseball, though, and, you, and you've seen what happened with the Angels. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the Angels have uh, survived some of the things that have happened this year, especially with... Uh, the loss of Tyler, and uh, what are your you know, as they now move in to try and salvage the season? Yeah, watching that the end of that combined no hitter is one of my favorite moments of the baseball season this year. Um, especially, you know, I, I, I said on Twitter usually a, a combined no hitter is a letdown. It's it's like oh man, we don't even know who gets credit for this no hitter. But in that on that night, it was perfect. It was the absolute perfect situation because you can say three Angels pitchers. Through a no hitter, uh, two guys whose names I can't remember, and Tyler Skaggs, you know, and yeah, you know, and, and then when they put the jerseys on the mound, everything about that was was beautiful and awesome, and kind of transcended baseball uh, in in a really good way, you know. And we don't watch baseball to be transcended necessarily. I mean, we watch baseball because we love baseball, but every once in a while, something like that happens. And even the pregame ceremony, I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched the pregame ceremony and I watched the end. And in between, I watched the Dodger game. But, uh, you know, Debbie Skaggs' first pitch was amazing. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, from the, from the pitching rubber, not from in front of the mound. Yes, you know? yes, the solid it, strike. <laughs> it was great. Uh, and then the end of the game, everything about it was was just perfect. And even, you know, I, I also watched their their first game uh, after after Skaggs died. Uh, you know, they, obviously they canceled that the game that day, but the next day when they played and just seeing uh, after they had had the moment of silence there in Texas and then uh, the camera on the Angels broadcast showed Griffin Canning sitting on the bench and, and you could just see his eyes and face were still red. They still had tears on his cheek. And I'm like, they're about to play a baseball game right now. And obviously Canning wasn't pitching so you know he didn't quite have to compose himself as quickly as some but just you think to yourself how are these guys doing this how are they going out and doing this because you know it, it's not just 
for for us as fans, it's just oh that guy who pitched for the Angels. You know, for you guys, obviously it's closer, but still, you know, it's not like you guys knew him or anything. But but the players that it's it's their friend, and uh, it's kind of amazing to see them be able to go out and actually do anything, and you know, seeing Mike Trout kind of put the team on his back uh, and just. I mean, he's gotten on a, on a hot streak since Tyler Skaggs died, and I'm sure it's not a coincidence that, you know, Trout's not a super vocal leader, but it's been really clear the last couple of weeks that he is a, a leader of that team. Well, I, I had the good fortune of being at that game that night, and take away the no-hitter, and it's still the most memorable game I've ever seen in my life. And yeah. I mean, my wife was my wife was in tears, was bawling at the end of the game when they went and just. I took a video, and, and I half of the video is my hands because I'm so excited. And some guy runs up and 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 just high and high fives me and screams uh, curse words at me. He's so excited, and um, so uh, anyways, it's it was yeah, it it it, it was. Yeah, beyond, it was. I, I, I know Derek. I always say it, it was spiritual. It really was that game. The no hitter was just kind of like, wow, like uh, you know, it just took it to a different level. I mean, I, no, I don't even think it took it to it. It was already on another level. It was just amazing. But it really is one of those things that if you wrote that movie script, the the people would say, you know what, the no hitter is a little bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, exactly. How, how about how about a. a three hit one run victory and then they put the jerseys on the mound you know we we don't need to be a no hitter let's keep it realistic yeah well the beautiful part was they got a big lead right off the bat so we were able to just relax and everybody knew okay we're going to win this game never crossed our minds until this i didn't cross my mind till the sixth inning that it was going to be that we were even in no hitter land and uh so it was a very that that trout had a home run a double in the first inning right yeah yeah yeah, we went we batted around Batted yep. around. It was. It was it, he, they took care of business. They said, "We're not going to lose this game." Boom, yep. Done. Knock that out. And then it all became about uh, well the pitching, and and still it was all about Tyler from the beginning to the end. Uh, they had a bugler play a beautiful national anthem. It was just yeah. It was it was it was spiritual. Yeah, I guess another thing the movie producer might say is, uh, "I don't think we can have him play in the Mariners." It's not enough of a challenge. <laughs> put the Dodger, put the crosstown rival Dodgers out there. Yeah, <laughs> let's make it really. Did special. you do air coach when you said rival, Derek? <laughs> Pardon me. You know what? Right Did now, you do guess air who? Houston. When you said rival or across town. <laughs> oh yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I think Houston's our bigger, our bigger rival now. After the last, after right now, we're, we're all our. our and I just want to tell you because so make sure I have a chance to tell you this because I've told Derek this and I tell everybody again. My wife, when I met her, was there, I got childhood photos of her as a Dodger, her whole family, they're all Dodger fans. I just am so jealous of Dodger fans. I'm disgusted. I don't like watching, going to Angel Dodger games. Derek got upset with me because I didn't go to any of the games at Angel Stadium because I don't want to sit in Angel Stadium and listen to let's go Dodgers, let's go for nine straight innings nonstop. You guys are just amazing. Um, yeah, I think they're thinking about changing the name of the team to the Los Angeles Dodgers of Anaheim. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, All right, well, you know, with that, I think it's time for us to go. <laughs> Great marketing move. Great marketing. <laughs> of, of Anaheim, Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles and Anaheim and San Diego and Phoenix and most recently Boston and Philadelphia. Yeah, he, unfortunately, you're not wrong there. Unfortunately, you're not wrong. All right, so with all that in mind, we do want to say one more thing, and that is the day of the no-hitter. The Dodgers were one of the teams that actually went out and congratulated the Angels 
um, and sh- and shared in that. And um, we are thankful for that. The Dodgers, as much as we hate to say it, are a class organization, and they uh, they deserve what they got. So again, thank you for taking the time to come on and preview the game with us and preview the series with us and talk about just baseball. Um, and can you let folks know where they can find you and your show on social media? Yeah, I am on Twitter at Snydog, S-N-I-D-O-G, uh, and my podcast is Locked on Dodgers. I do it with Vince Semperio, and we're on Twitter just at Locked on Dodgers. Uh, pretty straightforward. And yeah, we're, we're, we're a Monday through Friday, five days a week podcast every morning. And so uh, give it a listen if you're interested in hearing about the Dodgers. Obviously, the next couple of days, we will be talking about this Dodgers Angels series. And uh, yeah, I think it's an enjoyable show. So check it out. All right, and we definitely will, especially the next two days. All right, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you showing up and giving us your best. And, uh, well, I guess we'll be talking to you next year for the Freeway Series again. Hey, maybe this October, right? Maybe the stars will align, and this October we will have one more series, right? If the Rams told not the Rams, if the Angels totally flush <laughs> yeah. out their farm system. I think and, the Rams uh, might have a better chance yeah, of the World right. Series than, the, than the, the Angels. I misspoke. If the Angels flush out their farm system and trade for every single ace available on the market, maybe. But I, I don't think that's happening. Well, anytime, guys. It's, I always love talking baseball. All right. Thank you, and have a great one. Been a pleasure. So that was a fun conversation. Lots of interesting stuff in there. I mean, it, honestly, it wasn't too much of a preview. At this point, it's pretty cut and dry with the, with the Angels and Dodgers. The Dodgers um, have a pretty distinct advantage at home. The Angels pitching staff right now is it's in shambles. It is. But, hey, they're 52-49. and 49. They have a strong lineup. And you never know what can happen out there. So you you never know what kind of performance will be turned in. So let's look forward to the next two days. Any thoughts on the series overall after that conversation, John? I just think, you know, I think in a lot of the last few years, even when the Dodgers have had a lot of success, I think you can throw some of this stuff out the window when it's Dodgers and Angels, um, as proven by the last series. Um, it's just a two-game series, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a two-game series. Um, I easily I easily predict us going in at least one of these games. And again, I think it just our starting pitching is going to be the key. The Dodgers have a, a crazy offense. Uh, they have their own uh, Mike Trout, but he ain't Mike Trout. By there's just because there's only one Mike Trout. They got Bellinger. So um, I, I'm hoping I'm I'm thinking we squeeze one game out of at least one game out of this because we are going to be over in Dodger Stadium. So yeah, it depends on how the guys are after today and normally when they've been challenged with some adversity concerning Mm -hmm. Tyler, you know, they've responded well, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll find out. All right. So before we talk to Jeff Devannon, we do want to say, Hey, we are, we are looking for sponsors for the rest of the season and the off season. Our numbers are doing solid. If you'd like to see more, more than to share, give us a, a send us an email at talkinhalos@gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453, and we'll get right with you. We, hey, rates are, rates are good. I'm telling you flat out, though, our listeners are awesome. Our, our listeners are awesome, and we're getting more and more from every day. So come get some cheap rates while you can. All right. So I was able to find Jeff Devannon. He was the Angels Utility Man who was a part of the 2002 team. He was one of those guys, I don't know if you remember him well, John, but he was 
the gritty guy. He was a guy who would go out there and do everything you needed him to do. And in August of 2004, in the midst of a 21-6 smashing of the Kansas City Royals, Jeff Devanen hit a home run. And that home run sounded a lot like this. Goes to Vannon high in the air and deep to right. A cycle for Jeff Devannon. So that was the actual call. He hit for the cycle. Cycle. Yeah. And he hit for the cycle on his fourth. Let me say it again. His fourth hit of the game. That was it. So he tells a story about that in the interview. Come check it out. Here's our interview with former Angels outfielder Jeff Devannon. All right, folks, I am here with former Angels outfielder Jeff Devannon, the guy who hit for the cycle in 2004, one of the one of the members of that, that really good Angels team in the early 2000s, going to 2004-2005. Jeff, welcome to the show. We're glad to talk to you. You're actually the first Angels player to appear on the show, and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, no worries, man. Thank you. So your career is a little bit different. You were drafted by the A's in 1995, eventually traded to the Angels. And as a, a fan, especially going to a rival, it's a little bit different. So for you, what was different about moving from one organization to a rival organization? How did you adapt to that change in surroundings? Uh, you know, just as a player, anytime you, you're in the minor leagues, you just want to move up the, the ladder, right? You, your goal is to get you to the big leagues. So I knew in Oakland... Uh, that, despite the year I was having, I knew that I probably wouldn't even be in AAA just because of the logjam that they had throughout their system. So for me to be traded uh, to a, uh, another team that has some uh, a vehicle to go up was, was the biggest uh, highlight for me. Uh, and so, so I was just really, really excited about the opportunity. And even before that, you, you're a second-generation major leaguer. Your dad played, and he bounced around a little bit as well and, and made a good career for himself. Seeing your dad move from team to team and make a career, wear the different uniforms, meeting different players, what really drew you into following your dad's footsteps into the game of baseball? Well, I, I, I just always just loved baseball from the uh, beginning, and it was something I was good at. Uh, from, you know, and, uh, and when my dad... Uh, I guess the biggest blessing that my dad and I did this was we use baseball as our father son time. Mm-hmm. And so whether it was hitting in the cages, we're doing something like that. So, you know, I love to practice because my dad loved to practice. And, and so it was just, you know, I remember some of the best conversations we've had as, as a kid was through, through batting practices and hanging out. And, you know, there's, you know, being a father myself, there's very few things in life where you just say it as a parent that you could be definitively better than other parents, right? Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's certain gifts. And so my dad's best gift that he could give me as a parent was that his, his knowledge of baseball and what the pros and cons of what his career was and try to mold my career to the best way that he thought it could be. So, uh, so that's kind of like the long answer to that one. <laughs> It's a good answer, though. It's a good answer. Most people you talk to, especially when it comes to a sport they play, there's usually that tie that binds. And for baseball, it almost always seems to be that tie with your dad. It's like the father-son game. 
and I can remember even being a little leaguer, and it was my dad who took me, and it was the he was the one I was hoping would be there watching me play, and uh, so it totally makes sense. And and then years later, though, was your dad able to get to watch you play at the major league level on a consistent basis? Yeah, he he was, uh, and you know the, it was funny because you know I was fortunate to put up a little better numbers than him uh, <laughs> over my career, and and so he he takes all the credit for for that, and then and then so I I go, when are you going to admit that I'm better than you? And he goes, until you have more days in the big leagues than me. Until then, I'm not going to admit anything. <laughs> so <laughs> the day the day I got more days in the big leagues than him. I called him on the way to the field, and he goes, the game's not over. (laughs) He would have given up until the next day. (laughs) Well, when you joined the Angels, they were still a couple of years away from the World Series run. But when you come into an organization, you can kind of get a sense and a feel of how things are going. Were you able to see something growing within an organization that was leading towards that big run? Actually, uh, it was kind of the furthest thing from, I think, uh, Terry Collins was fired the day before I got called up. So uh, Joe Madden took over, and he was the interim manager. So I think there was kind of like people really didn't know what the path were that we're on. Um, but, you know, the one thing that was very apparent to me was the stars that were were with the Angels. Like there's, you know, the, the Jim Edmonds and the Tim Sammons and, you know, the Troy Percivals, you, the, the talent the talent was there. It was just a matter of just putting it all together. And I think that with a couple additions, the nice pieces through free agency, it just kind of worked out really, really well. Well, you spent some time with that 2002 World Series team. And, and I remember it as at the time I was serving in the military, I was overseas and I was getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning for these World Series games. And that whole season for this guy was a dream. It just I, The team had been fairly up and down and heartbreak and heartbreak and heartbreak for years and then to watch this Cinderella from far away it looks like a Cinderella thing happen you know what did right. it mean to you what, what what did you see what made them so special overall well I just think just in general uh, the it's uh, just in general I, I, you know you can say the 2002 team you can say the 2005 team or anywhere in between but uh, they the team really wanted to play as a team, and we really support each other as teammates. There wasn't, I mean, every team is going to have some hiccups, but I, I say that it was very minimal. I, I feel like the, you know, there was a, the, the grind of, of wanting to succeed was kind of universal throughout the organization, and I thought that was the biggest difference. So, so I mean, it, it was just something, something like as simple as, you know, no one really cared if they were the star or they weren't. I remember, you know, m- multiple situations where there's a guy in second place and Gary Anderson would roll over to get the guy over to third base with less than two outs. And and he he understand that was the job that he did, he needed to do, and he did it for the team. And it was just kind of that selflessness that just carried throughout to everyone. You know, if a star was willing to do it, that everyone should. That's what I remember about you, though. I remember you being the guy who, you were the grinder. You were the one who would make the difficult plays, the ones that the stars oftentimes wouldn't want to make. And looking back on your career now, 
what can you really hang your hat on the most, having been a major leaguer and been a part of some really great teams? Well, I mean, I think the the, the thing that I pulled my hat more than anything was I knew that I wasn't the most talented. No matter how hard I tried or how much I trained, I never would be Vladimir Guerrero. I would never be, you know, Derek Jeter. I just knew that that wasn't the case. And I was pretty uh, honest about my talent. And so what I did was I tried to maximize the few, few things of the abilities that I had. So I guess the, you know, the hard work was not in that taking a day off and trying to say, you know, you know, these days seem long, but my career was short and I, I didn't want to have any regrets. And I feel like I worked hard enough where I don't have any regrets when it comes to my, uh, when I look back and, and see what I could have done or what I didn't do. I, I feel like I did what I set out to do. And which of those teammates you just mentioned, which of those guys made the biggest impact on your career and your life? <laughs> You're not going to believe it when I say this, but Orlando Palmero oh. was was by far the the most impactful uh, person of my career. Uh, he taught me the most, uh, and he helped me guide. He guided me a lot uh, when I, I was struggling. And it was funny because I ultimately took his job, right? And and so I asked him, I was like, we're, we're definitely competing against each other for playing time and, and, and all that stuff. Why are you helping me so much? And his response to me was when he was in my spot, no one really helped him. And he wasn't going to make that same uh, uh, mistake. And so... He's like, ultimately, God, he said, God will take care of me. If it's not with the angels, it'll be somewhere else. But, you know, I'm here to help, and this is what I do. And so that's what he did. And I, I still this day, I, I think not, I can't say one bad thing about him. Were you, have you kept touch with him over the years and seen, you know, how his life has gone and so forth? I tried, but life gets in the way, you know, with kids and all that kind of stuff. And you think... You know, I, I definitely still maintain some friendships, but um, I, I don't talk to him. I would if I could, but I, I just lost touch with him. Well, Orlando, if you have me listening, there you go. <laughs> Check it out. Is, well, what about the other players that you know that you cross paths with? You mentioned Vladimir Guerrero. There's Tim Salmon. There's Garrett Anderson and Troy Percival. What kind of impact did these guys leave on you? Maybe not as personal, but as baseball players, as men, as teammates. What kind of impact they make for you? Well, I mean, everyone's different, and you have different relationships with with all of them. You know, I, I think after Orlando, you know, I, I think I hung out with Tim Salmon and Dan Eckstein probably the most, and Sean Wooten. We're kind of the the you know we'd always stretch together and talk and do that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's just as far as like, I mean, to make it to the big leagues is is. Uh, you know, you're going to have to have some talent, but, you know, those guys, um, sometimes when they try to explain, like Tim, you know, he, he could sit on a breaking ball and hit a fastball. I don't think many people can do that. And, uh, and so sometimes when when you're looking for an impact or tutelage, sometimes you kind of look for a player that mirrors you a lot. And, and so I think that, you know, David Eckstein, you know, gave me some good advice and, and some other guys like that. 
So your best season statistically were in 2003, 2004, and it was 2004 when you hit for that cycle. Now, just going back to that game, did you feel any, anything different? I know some players will say, well, this on this day, it just kind of felt special or it felt this. And Did you feel anything different about that particular game on that particular day? Not to my recollection. And to be completely transparent, I didn't even know I was going for the cycle until right before my last at-bat. I believe it was Rob Quinlan said, are you going to go for it? And I, I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you're a home run short of the cycle. So that was the only time in my career that I actually tried to hit a home run that I hit a home run. Otherwise, I, I always got out. But that was the one time that when I hit a home run, I actually went up to bat thinking I was going to try to hit a home run. You just actually answered my next question. I was you know, what was going through your mind at the time? Well, you hit a home run. So... Walk us through that home run. Did you did you know that ball was gone when you hit it? Yeah, I did. I mean, that I traditionally I, I usually do really well off sidearm pitchers, and and I he didn't really throw that hard, and so I tried to get on the plate as much as I could, and 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 try to hit it out, and that's what happened. So I mean, it was uh, he kind of threw me the right pitch and everything, and just. That whole at bat just kind of just set up really nicely. What went through your head as you rounded those bases and came on home? I, I started laughing because, like, I couldn't believe I did it. You know, I, I knew that the cycle was special, but I didn't realize how special it was uh, until after. You know, there's it's like throwing a perfect game. You know, there's just not very many in history if you think of all the at bats and games and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's just it was, a, it was a proud moment. You know, and I. I framed all my my bats and gloves and all that kind of stuff, and I actually gave it to my father as his Christmas present. So, so he has it up on his wall. So, well, that's an interesting question in terms of your, you know, your dad. And so you just mentioned some kind of that friendly conversation about your careers. What did your dad? How would your dad react to watching you hit that for that cycle? Oh, he just gets really excited. I mean, anytime you're your your case exceeds in life, whether it's you know a nine to five job, high school baseball, or whatever. You just you're just proud of them, you know. And and uh, yeah, I think my dad <clears throat> was just really proud that uh, of just my success in general, you know. And what are your best memories from that day overall? Well, being the not a primary player on the team, and uh, and just just to have the the attention or like, you know, I was on, you know, uh, like a mic and mic on the morning or, you know, stuff, stuff like that. Like where you, you know, you talked about it, you know, I normally didn't get those kind of interviews or kind of that, uh, attention from the media. So it was actually nice to, to see the fruits of your labor, like be appreciated. And so that was just like, that was super cool for me. It's now 15 years later and, Fifteen years later, you're old. you we should be normal. We are a little older, a little wiser, a little bit more thoughtful about the things we've seen and things we've done. When you look back on that day, you look back on your on your major league career. What stands out to you about you know concerning what's most special about it? What do you hold dear about your time in the majors? Probably one of the best things is like I set out a goal as a kid, and I, and I was able to live my dream out for the time. I really, I you know. I, I was always tough on myself and I was hard and sometimes I didn't enjoy the moment as much as you should. 
but in retrospect, you know, I was just, just proud of myself for being able to, to work hard and do it. You know, I, you, you know, <laughs> as I was playing baseball, I, I didn't realize how being a major leaguer, how special it was. And, and now like even doing a show like this or talking to my, my work colleagues or something like that, it's just, it's just a humbling experience to think that I was able to do what a lot of people strive to do for their lives. They just didn't weren't able to do it. So that's probably my biggest thing. I mean, yeah, you, you, you live the dream. You live the dream that so many people don't get to do. And, and uh, that's got to be special. And now, years later, what are you doing? I, I see you are a career man. So what's been going on in your life since? So it's, when I left baseball, I had a lot of life experiences, but I didn't have business experience. So I uh, got into sales. And so now I currently sell nutraceutical ingredients. So it's basically the raw ingredients that go into like a GNC, uh, like a store in GNC, like creatine or something mm-hmm. like that. I sold in bulk. I work for a company here in LA called ET Horn, and uh, you know they're a great company. And uh, and so when I got out of baseball, I try to I try to leverage the some of my knowledge that because I you know worked out and took supplements, and I always was a big fan of supplements. So being able to sell supplements is uh, kind of something that fit very well for for, for me. And. You, you know, personally, family, you mentioned kids. How, uh, how many kids you got, you know, youngsters, and, you know, what do you enjoy most about your time with them? <laughs> so I have two kids and uh, and a wife and two dogs, all that, you know, just kind of <laughs> like the, the average American yeah. uh, family. I the uh, My kids, both of them, are unbelievable baseball and softball players. I have a daughter and a son. Mm-hmm. And they both don't like baseball or softball, so they play soccer. But they're great players. They just don't. They just choose to play other sports. So I'm uh, rooting them on on the, the the soccer field, and you know, and you know, trying to maximize my time because they're not going to be around forever. You know, ones in high school, ones in junior high, and and uh, just do the normal dad stuff. I'm guessing you're still a baseball fan. Is there? Do you still cheer for the Angels? Do you still follow the team and, and keep track of them? Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, I, I definitely am an Angel fan. Um, it's weird when you start looking around the league and you know more managers than players that are playing still, right? So it's uh, just a lot of my friends are not coaches, and you know I root, I root for them for their success and and stuff. But you know, as a player, you know, obviously I probably put the Angels as my number one team, and uh, but I, I really, I mean. Who doesn't want to watch Mike Trout play on a consistent basis? I mean, he's pretty special, you know. And uh, yeah, so, but I, I like to watch players a lot. Like I, I think I, being a former baseball player, I look at the game a little differently than the average fan, you know. And uh, so, I really like to watch certain people do certain things, and and um, you know, so. But I do watch, I wa- I watch them quite a bit. And just one last question here. And thank you again for taking the time with us today. What do you want Angel fans to remember the most about you as a baseball player, as a man, as, as a guy who wore the wore the uniform? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I really don't know. I mean, I guess uh, I was a good guy, and I smiled, and I enjoyed the game. <laughs> I played it the right way. You know. Uh, yeah. You know, there's. 
you know, I, I, the one thing that drives me crazy is just the lack of hustle that you see across baseball, not only high school or major leagues. I mean, it's just kind of this, the game's just changed quite a bit. And I, I'm just glad, you know, my dad said it only takes four seconds to run down a first base. So, you know, so you give 20 seconds of your life away per game, you know, and I don't think people do that anymore, but I, I think I did and on a pretty consistent basis. So, I, I, I'm pretty proud about that. So what you're saying is you're not Manny Machado just dogging in the way of first base. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that that kind of stuff frustrates me uh, when I watch the game, you know. But I, you know, he's actually other aspects of his game. He's very, very good. Obviously, he is. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that does frustrate me when I watch that kind of stuff. And, and you know, the weird thing is, is as much as the fans love a home run or, or love a, a great play of the outfield, we still notice a little things too. We notice that the small ball game is not as prevalent anymore. We know some people don't run out first base. We notice when they don't go hard for home. We notice all that stuff. And, you know, th- definitely the game has changed. And hopefully some of that aspect is brought back because it makes the game better. The little things matter. And I think that's one of the important parts about the game of baseball is you can't get away with just doing the big things long term. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love Mike Trout. I mean, you know, the guy's the best, biggest star in the game, and he still runs the first base like his hair's on fire, you know, especially if he hits a high bouncer because you can smell that hit. But, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, certain guys play the, the game right, and those are the guys the guys I kind of root for and, and, and follow, so... So Jeff, you keep a you keep a pretty low key. I mean, I had to I had to seriously do some research to find you. So, is there anywhere fans can go on social media or anything to follow your life and you know what you're doing? I don't do any of that really. <laughs> I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I'm on Facebook, but that's more of a. Uh, I look every ten months, six months. I just really don't do anything like that with with Facebook. Uh, uh, so and I don't have Instagram or anything like that. I know I'm old. If you, my friends know if they want to get a hold of me, they have to call me. They can't text me because I don't return texts. You know, stuff like that. So uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I I, I, I really have never even thought about it to be truthful. <laughs> <laughs> You're still old school. All right, Jeff. I just want to thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the effort to. I know you, you, it's a work day for you out there right now. You're. I'm on, I'm on East Coast time. You're on West Coast time. So you're just heading out of lunch, I'm sure. So, again, thank you so much for yep. coming. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, you know, best wishes. All right, man. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Have a great thank day. You. Good luck you to you in the future. And thank you. Okay. All right. So, folks, that's a wrap for us. It is time for us to go home and. Well, I think we are home. It's time for us to go to sleep. We're tired and cranky. Look at me. I'm losing it here. So, as per usual, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Halos. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apocalypse. You can find John at Jake's Train John. Don't forget us on Facebook. We have a page there that we put the podcast up and everything. A, and a shout out, as always, to the Halos Nation group. They have been really interactive with us of late. We appreciate you guys. Also, don't forget to find us on Spreaker, Apple Music, G, Spotify. We are everywhere. I mean, it's, uh, it's I amazing. Heart radio. Yes, iHeartRadio. We are everywhere. And with all that said, this is a wrap. We'll talk to you on Wednesday night for our Orioles preview. Have a great one and take it easy.
The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. 